0: Today on Laura Lynn and Friends.
1: There's one and a half million maimed Americans, which are more injuries than the U.S. military has had injuries in every war we've had since our inception.
2: Hello and welcome to The Last Days. My name is Laura Lynn Tatter Thompson, and I sure am glad to be here. Um, shoot, I forgot my glasses again. Okay, let's just pick a verse that my dad thought was important. Um, I sure do miss my dad. I've got this huge picture of my mom and dad now. And uh, it's sort of leaning up against a wall. And I get to, you know, just remember what great parents they were. And I miss them so much. Uh, My dad loved the word of God. And he would uh, mark his Bible every which way from Sunday. And especially on Sundays, I think. And uh, so... How about glasses? You got glasses, JT? No, maybe I'm good. Okay. Um, let's see. Oh, ye hypocrites. All right. You need them back? Okay, I'm going to just borrow my husband's. Remember when Mark Friesen was always borrowing mine when we were on the road? Okay. You hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern this time? Wow. Is that good? Do you know what the problem is? Here, you can have these back. Is um, he's, Jesus was basically saying to them, uh, you can can look at the sky and you can say a storm is coming or I think tomorrow it will be sunshine. Uh, You can discern the time and season of the sky, but you cannot discern the times we are in. And I have to sadly say that... That's a very important scripture for us today because there are many people in our world, including those that should be godly and should understand the times and they do not understand the times and they are leading a lot of people to a path of destruction. I am embarrassed at the way that the church has capitulated and accepted bribes to hold vaccine clinics in your basements, you sellouts, you lack of, of discerning people and you have caused harm to the people of God because you did not stand and you did not know what was happening. I am embarrassed of my government who has forced people to lose their job or have to take a vaccine. If we could just run one clip before we bring on one of my favorite doctors of all time, Dr. Fleming is is here with us today, Dr. Richard Fleming. But let's just watch, um, this is Ohio embalmers discuss uh, seeing large blood clots like that have never been seen before. This is fascinating, take a look. With
0: embalming, as, as long as I've been at it, there were always clots, smaller, smaller in nature compared to what we're seeing today. And the, the white fibrin structures that are so large today, um, I hadn't seen anything that large uh, other than just a small uh, type of, of structures until the last 16 or 18 months. And uh, I I lectured to the Ohio Embalmers Association a couple of weeks ago, and I I showed the photos, and I asked those in attendance, and there were about 100 embalmers in the room. I asked um, how many had, uh, in the last um, 16 to 18 months, had seen uh, structures similar to these, larger in size, more significant in size than they had seen prior to 18 months ago, everyone in the room raised their hand, virtually everyone in the room raised their hand. And as we we talked just a little more, I said, this isn't political. I'm just trying to find answers, folks. And so mo- most of you are telling me that you had not seen these prior in your careers to uh, 16, 18 months ago. And again, the same number of hands went up and, and we always have these, um, uh, People trying to play it down that that said they've seen these and and Richard and I have communicated I don't know what Richard for a year year and a half and and as we talked about seeing um, these these blood clots people would argue with us and and say they've always seen blood clots so I suggested to Richard or uh, sometime in our conversation that perhaps we shouldn't call these these big structures blood clots because they don't possess the uh, the um, the embodiment, if you will, of being a blood clot. They're, they're more of a, a a fibrin structure, which which separates them from uh, the the uh, current jelly clots that are more common that that could form post mortem. But uh, these these bigger white fibrin structures that are being removed by uh, cardiologists and surgeons, um, you know, they're not forming after death. They're present in the body uh, while the body's still thriving.
2: What do y'all make of this? I mean, you know, people are reporting these clots, these fibrous sort of uh, calamari, I would call them, looking uh, things across the world. What is that? People are suddenly dying. Turbo cancer. All of this. And you've all accepted bribes. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. One of the most courageous men on our planet, and probably responsible for a lot of the truth coming out, is Dr. Richard Fleming, and he's here with us today. I'll let you know that in 1994, Dr. Fleming presented to the American Heart Association his theory that cardiovascular disease was due to inflammation. What was theory in 1994 has become a well-known fact for decades and was highlighted in 2004 with a feature on ABC's 2020 News with a patent 9566037 that was issued to Dr. Fleming on February 14, 2017. And uh, Dr. Fleming has had years and years of experiencing, uh, experience, understanding our bodies, our hearts, and he certainly understands the crisis that we are now facing. Welcome to the show, Dr. Fleming. Thank you very much for being with us today.
1: My pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. So, you know, you began with a very good segment yes. um, with, with, the, with the fiber and clots. That is exactly what the 1994 theory discussed. Because at that time, when we were just talking about cholesterol and fats, I was pointing out that viruses and bacteria and a number of other factors cause an inflammation and blood clotting or inflammatory thrombotic response. Now, during this this 35, we're now on month 36 of all this in addition to the research that we did on trying to figure out which drugs work, which ones didn't, using the patent to actually uh, measure treatment outcomes, we also looked at these vaccines under the microscope and what these vaccines do when they're added directly to blood. Now, we have spent about a year and a half trying to get that research published. And we have just last week received news that that, along with two other papers, is going to be published in the peer-reviewed medical journals. And what it shows, and there's about 60 hours on FlemingMethod.com if you want to spend 60 hours watching something, is when the vaccines are added directly to the blood, they not only cause this inflammation and thrombosis or blood clotting, but they desaturate or they take away the red color of the blood. So this is exactly what you're seeing when there's, when they're talking about these fibrin clots. It's not expected that that much of the vaccine should get to the blood, but what we saw is that when the blood is exposed to the vaccine, that red color of the blood is taken away, which means the hemoglobin is being damaged, it's being changed structurally, so it no longer can carry oxygen. And so I suspect if they actually looked at these fibrin clots, they would see red blood cells that are no longer red, because that's exactly what we saw, and we provided not only the videotapes, but then some some good quality images for people to see, and that's exactly what they're finding in these uh, in these autopsies.
2: Well, um, so as you're watching this, it. Like, would stuff like this be found in the past, though? Like, so is this just an increase of of sort of what we've seen? Because now everyone's reporting, and they're pulling this out of dead bodies. Would you say that once in a while we would see something like this before? Or do you have any knowledge of, of that?
1: Well, certainly there's evidence that it was occurring before, but not to this extent. And you know we have not mass vaccinated anybody like this since I was a kid growing up when when we all got mass vaccinated in the '60s for measles, mumps, rubella, and the other and the other vaccines. And we've known uh, for some time that this inflammation, blood clotting can happen. But the prior vaccines that have been used actually used the viruses or in some cases bacteria, weakened them and then injected them into the body, so they didn't constantly reproduce themselves. What we're seeing now is a couple issues. First off, we know that the lipid nanoparticles that are used in Pfizer and Moderna cause inflammation and blood clotting just by themselves. If you did nothing more than inject these these, uh, lipid nanoparticles into people, you get this inflammation and blood clotting. We know that the genetic sequences, the RNA and the DNA, when they're outside of cells, <clears throat> they act like prions, which is like mad cow disease. It's proteins or structures that change normal proteins, cause damage. And we're seeing it in the heart. Not only are, so in the heart disease that everybody's talking about, they're talking about myocarditis, an inflamed heart, or pericarditis, an inflamed pericardium, the sac around the heart. Which is true. That's exactly what I said in 1994, and that's what causes heart disease. But there's one other thing that's happening, and you're not hearing the other cardiologists or other people in the news talk about this, but people need to recognize this is happening. When this RNA and DNA gets into the bloodstream, it causes prion diseases. And, and so, as shaped proteins, no longer. Now, mad cow disease is what everybody's used to when they hear about that. But there are Parkinson's disease, of which there's 84,000 excess deaths in the last year and a half. Excess deaths, not death, excess deaths. There's <clears throat> amyloidosis, which is a prime disease of the heart, which is occurring. And you're not hearing other doctors talk about it because if they're not a nuclear cardiologist, they're probably not getting the imaging that is necessary to see that this amyloid or prion disease is occurring in the heart. And we're seeing massive numbers of these health problems now show up, injuring people and killing people. And that's really now why we've gotten to the place where we're taking not just only the information we've been talking about for 35 months, But pushing for the American public to recognize just how serious this is, because as we were talking about before the program, there has been an effort to minimize how harmful all this has been, which is kind of a way of allowing people to say um, this has been oversold. Well, here's the reality. There are now over 1.1 million dead Americans. The equivalent of all the soldiers the United States has lost in the history of the United States, and we've been at war all but 18 of our months, we have seen harm in people, adverse events. We don't need to go ask whether needs one or two zeros added behind it. If you take the numbers at face value, there's one and a half million maimed Americans, which are more injuries than the U.S. military has had injuries in every war we've had since our inception. There are 32,000 accepted vaccine deaths, which are more deaths than have occurred in every war the United States has fought, with the exception of our five bloodiest. COVID on its worst week, killed 32,000 people. Again, more deaths than we have lost soldiers in every war we've ever fought except our five bloodiest. And we lose more people every week from COVID disease caused by the inflammation of blood clotting than we lost at Pearl Harbor or Twin Towers. So... We should not be minimizing these numbers. We need to recognize that we're on war footing. When President Trump in January of 2020 made his declarations to activate the emergency use authorization documents and take action in the United States, he essentially put us on war footing. And under 18 USC section 175, the Secretary of State and the Department of Defense have an obligation to come to the aid of the American people if there is evidence of a biological weapon being used on the American people. And this virus virus says SARS severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 2 is not by all appearance a single virus. It the, the PCR data matches three different viruses, at least, that we've looked at, that were paid for by the Department of Defense, NIAID, NIH, and a number of other government agencies. They paid that money to Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina, Peter Dazak at EcoHealth, Shi Zheng Li at the Wuhan Institute of Virology paid them, and they published the research showing they made these three viruses that match, according to the PCR data, what's called SARS-CoV-2. So there is no doubt about the fact that we have paid for the development and now dissemination of at least three biological viral weapons and we have made genetic code sequences in the vaccines. And, and I mentioned this to somebody the other day and I know this is kind of getting out there as a term. I have called these drug vaccine biologics because that's what they are. I do not call them the jab because I'm sorry, I, I get it, you're being jabbed, but as a scientist and physician, I won't use that term. But what we should be using is the term, a very specific one, genetic vaccines, because the function of these vaccines is to have the genetic sequence inserted into people. And there is no reason to think that when you get an injection, that these genetic vaccines will stay at the site of injection. That's silly. They're not being injected directly into cells, they're being injected into tissue, which gets drained out, which gets to your blood, which causes desaturation of the blood. It allows your immune system to respond, and it causes blood clots to occur, inflammation, and thrombosis, inflammatory thrombotic response. And it's very clear, and and it's also very clear that they're going to continue to do this unless they are legally brought to task. And that means we need to file indictments, and those indictments aren't done by attorneys like me because a regular attorney can't file a criminal indictment. The only people who can file a criminal indictment is a prosecuting attorney, somebody who works for the people. So an attorney general or a district attorney are the people that file criminal charges. They take them to a special group of of registered voters who have the job of sitting on a grand jury Listening to the evidence and saying, Yes, it looks like these people committed crimes. Now, in the last 35 months, I and and a few other people have collected the solid data, and, and our names are on it. So, my name, Dr. Kevin McCarran, one of the world's premier neurobiologists in the world, he's in Japan, Charles Rixey, who's a former US military instructor for weapons of mass destruction. Joanna Deinert in Germany, who is a physician who's been dealing with this in Germany, and Andrew Huff, who used to work at EcoHealth, who wrote the grants. We have all signed what's called a letter for indictment, which is a five- to six-page document with our signatures on it, just like the Founding Fathers did on the Declaration of Independence. See, so it's bright. You can see it. You can't miss it. We're, we're putting it right out there for these AGs to get. And that letter for indictment, along with a cover letter, can be generated by each and every American and should be generated by each and every American by going to 10letters.org. So the number 10, the word letters, L-E-T-T-E-R-S dot O-R-G. It's easy to do. It's a minute and a half of your life. And we have every other time in the history of humanity and the United States, when this country has been attacked, we have come to grips with it. We have recognized the people who have been killed and maimed, and we have demanded action. Now, there are 6.6 million Jews massacred in Nazi concentration camps. There's that many people in the world that have died from this. Where are Where is the memorial and the action for these people? we have the tomb of the unknown soldier to recognize the people that are no longer recognizable who have fought and died in wars remember back when we were seeing body bags taken out of hospitals they're talking now again about at a surge of our hospital capacity the loss of identification of people in body bags we lose more people per week than we lost at Pearl Harbor we have a memorial and we went and we had Nuremberg II in Germany because those were crimes against Germany and then crimes against humanity. This is not Nuremberg II. This is these are crimes against the United States of America and then crimes against humanity. It was done here, it was paid for, it was executed out of this country. And, you know, we can blame the Wuhan Institute of Virology all we want to. In the CCP, but the b- bottom line is, we paid for it. And if we paid for it, the people who paid for it knew what we were getting involved with and are responsible and culpable criminally for their actions. We have responded with Twin Towers, with a memorial, and we went to war over that. Over the same number of people that we lose every week from the disease COVID, so there's the website, 10letters.org. If you, if you scroll down, it will say build my letter. And you can click on, uh, just scroll down. Uh, and, if you, and if you go on the homepage, there we go. You'll see build my letter, keep going. And under build my letter, when you click on that, it will then generate a page. There you go, build my letter. If you click on that, so people can see what that looks like. It's a very simple process. You simply go on there and you will put in your name, your address, your state, your zip code, and it will generate a cover letter for you to both your attorney general, there we go, and to your governor. And once you fill in that information, then you can say, um, you know, build my letter, and then you save it and you download it, It'll download on your computer. And then once you've done that, you go right next to it where it says indictment letter at the very top, right next to get started. And when you click on that document right there, you'll see this document that I was talking about where all of us have signed it. It explains to the attorney generals and the governors what crimes have been committed and and who we're, we're charging. So the indictment is very specific. It lists. Anthony Fauci, uh, Richard uh, Collins. It lists uh, Peter Dazak and it lists uh, Barrick. It looks so Francis Collins, NIH. That's that's you know Fauci's boss, and Gates and Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. On the next page, it states that anybody else that is found to be culpable criminally responsible for this gain of function will also be held accountable on these indictments. The next things are the international uh, violations that have occurred so federal, but you could see that the state crimes are murder, attempted murder, manslaughter, reckless manslaughter, assault, battery, false imprisonment, coercion, you name it. And and on this page, there's three things that are listed. One is the book, Is COVID-19 a Bioweapon? That's what I originally wrote laying out where the monies came from, what papers have been published, how you can see these people are responsible, the pride they've taken in ownership for building these bio weapons. Uh, the second one is a deposition that I've given under oath to a court reporter in Texas who identifies herself so that you know who she is. The attorney who took the deposition, took that deposition, he has argued before and won before the Supreme Court of the United States. And then an affidavit where I've laid out much of what occurred originally that shows the crimes. And then we have all signed this, and that document should be printed up. It's about five or six pages long and sent in with the cover letter to both your attorney general and your governor. Now, we are approaching 3,000 letters that have been sent in, and they're going to the attorney generals and the governors in all 50 states. The goal here is to either, so you see my signature, I wanted it to be like John Hancock's. I want them to be able to read it without putting their glasses on, lorlin So, you know, I'm talking to you when, when when you see the documents, but you've got McCarran, you've got Rixie, you've got Diner, and you've got Huff down below. We've all signed it. We put our names just like they did on the Declaration of Independence. This is a declaration, it is a letter for indictments, and it lays it out. We were talking before the program. I have been cataloging uh, in the last 35 months, I have somewhere around 1200 to 1300 published papers and documents to show this gain of function, to show the information that's necessary, to show how this causes cancer and heart disease, which pathways are affected, the fact that they knew about this. I even provide background information in these documents. So you can go back to the beginning of the 1900s and understand what they were talking about when they actually talked about herd immunity. What were those doctors and researchers in the early 1900s actually talking about? And what were their concerns with this approach for, for dealing with these problems? Um, you know, there's documents on other viruses. so. They get the information. It's very clear-cut. In other words, the data has been there all along, and I want, on the record, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because when, when they try to get rid of these documents in the future, it's going to be too late, because I've already got these things saved on hard drives and disseminated out to sources that they will get to the applicable uh, authorities. Um, when we get to the place of actually getting the indictments to prosecute these people. I wanted to be very clear that the data is, I mean, again, some 1300 plus documents that we've got that lay out in great detail by a number of researchers. Some some are mine, a lot from other people, obviously, over the course of, of 100 plus years. They knew what was going on I know what's going on. Somebody asked me the other day, if I could do a research study now, what uh, answer a question that I have, what would it be? And I said, I frankly, at this point, don't have any questions left.
2: <laughs> wow. I just, I don't. <clears throat> yeah.
1: Um, the, the data is, it's right in your face. Right. Um, and it all takes us back to that inflammatory thrombotic response theory I presented first in American Art in 94. So it was presented then. It was presented again in 95. It was published in a cardiology textbook in 99. We did the bacterial studies from 2001 to 2003. And then, as you mentioned, the last time major mainstream media had me on was in 2004 on 2020. Um, and then they came after me with full vengeance. And, and that's history. And you can read about that on my website if you if you love to watch people uh uh, I mean, it's all laid out there. So um, this is not my first go-round with Big Pharma or the government. Uh, I made it very clear up front that I was going to be meticulous. I wasn't going to listen to misinformation from either side. I understand how, how emotionally excited people get. Um, but as a scientist uh, and as a scientist physician slash attorney, I'm very particular about the information that I will look at and put forward because it has to bear weight in the end and it has to be uh, successful. And, and uh, there's a lot of action going on right now with misinformation and lawsuits that I wish people wouldn't be filing. I understand that people are anxious and they want to do something, and they, but, but by the same token, we do not want to get these judges so gun shy that when they hear something, they go, "Oh, I don't want to hear about that anymore. I, I already had to deal with that once." We want the the courts to be unbiased for a change, um, and we want the general public that will serve on these juries and serve on these grand juries to be able to look at the facts and know without hesitation that what's being said to them is not an opinion, it's not based upon political ideas or anything else. Um, this has, yeah, has nothing to do but with me. I mean, this is not about me. Um, I'd rather be doing any of another things in my life right now than dealing with this. But this is, I guess, what I'm supposed to be doing. So this is what I'm doing. And, and uh, you know, this is completing my 54th year of research um next month we begin here 55 i guess it doesn't look and like it's going, going away but um yeah so it is i mean uh the reality is i was blessed to have the education that i have to to be given opportunities uh and my perspective is not uh what can you do for me my perspective is uh, what can I do? Um, it, my, my original doctorate was thanks to JFK. And I remember, as I'm sure everybody uh, said, what, ask not what your country can do, but ask what you can do for your country. And I took that very literally. Um, and, and have ever since my original doctor, doctorate, uh, have taken the position of what can I do to pay this back. And uh, I think that's what my mom and dad would like to see. Um, I know they're watching. And um, these people that's need wonderful. to be held legally, criminally accountable for what they have done. And the only way to do that is to put pressure on these attorney generals and governors. And that's what 10letters.org does. And it will do two things. Depending upon the group of AGs we reach, for those who really want to do something about it, to uphold the oaths that they took when they were elected to office, those individuals need to know that they have the support of the people in their states. And they need to be able to hold up thousands of letters in every state and say the people demand justice for the 1.1 million dead Americans. The 1.5 million maimed Americans and the tallies are adding up. And for the cowardly attorney generals, and you know who you are, we're going to bring the force of we the people to your office and remind you that your position that you hold is an elected position that was given to you by the people and can be taken back by the people if you don't fulfill your oath and I don't care who you are as an American citizen, you have been impacted one way or another in the last 35 months. You either know somebody who died, know somebody who was injured, maimed, harmed. You have either had to give up working or give up going to events or give up a variety of freedoms. You have had to struggle with whether the medications that are prescribed are the best they could be. And you have had to struggle with the issue of these vaccines, these genetic vaccines that have been disseminated so widely to people Um, and the motives doing it now this these vaccines are supposedly the exact same genetic material that these gain-of-function viruses are and the gain-of-function viruses have the bloody fingerprints of biological viral weapons on them which means that the vaccines being the same thing are essentially biological viral Weapons. And they are an attempt to insert genetic material into human cells and to have those cells change their function. We know that the consequence of the change in function can lead to inflammation and blood clotting, heart disease, strokes, heart attacks, diabetes. We know it can interfere with uh, the protective mechanisms of cancer whether that be P53, BRCA1 and 2, what a lot of people like to call BRCA, so the breast cancer, varying uterine, and prostate genes, whether it's alterations in CD147, another receptor on cells that are affected by these viruses. Um, it is impacting Americans across the board. It is slowly but surely producing these inflammatory thrombotic and prion diseases. It could be said that the fortunate people are the ones that are dying in the same way that if you get too close to a nuclear reaction uh, or explosion, uh, you're better off dying versus living with the ramifications of it. It is very clear that they don't intend to stop there. This genetic modification technology, gene modification, is the same thing that we're talking about with CRISPR. And where we would like to think that CRISPR is a positive thing, anything can be used for good purposes or bad purposes. But CRISPR is nothing more than a technology that tries to go in, and mind you, it's a random process to get into the cells to clip out segments of your cells that are thought to be defective. But there is no reason to believe that they're not also clipping out good segments of your cells because. There's only four nucleotide bases in DNA and four nucleotide bases in RNA. And in the end, that means there's only 64 possible combinations. And if you clip out what you think is a bad part randomly, because there's nothing that says go to this part of the DNA, this chromosome, attack just that part you're sending in little scissors, which is how they like to teach people to think about it, to go in and look for the areas to splice and insert. There's We don't have the knowledge base yet to know whether that same insertion clipping process will have an adverse effect or in fact may even cause you to damage part of our genetic structure that's critical for human survival. That's We don't have that knowledge base yet. As I sometimes have pointed out to people, we have children, elementary school kids playing with Tinker Toys here because this is the maturity level that they are demonstrating. When you are doing something and you haven't thought all these processes out and you start playing with it, this is tantamount to an elementary school kid playing with Tinker Toys. Yeah, they might get it right, but it might just all fall down too in the process. And it won't be them that's being experimented on. Currently, in the cardiology and pulmonary literature, there's great excitement that they think that they have CRISPR technology to treat the number one cause of, for Caucasians genetic disorder of cystic fibrosis. And I actually took care of the oldest living cystic fibrosis patient. On the planet, when I was an intern year out of uh, being a medical student, Uh, and I had the privilege of of dealing with this gentleman and and helping to care for him. And he uh, worked at one of the universities, one of the colleges where where I did my internship at. And we were using experimental treatment to keep him alive at the time. But they're very excited about using CRISPR technology to change that. In cardiology, there is a great excitement about using CRISPR technology right now for amyloid disease that's genetic. Um, I think it's interesting that in in cardiology, the first area they're coming out with is amyloid disease. Um, Whether that's just a coincidence or not, history will tell us, but I, I find it a very interesting coincidence. As I pointed out back in uh, June of 2021 when I did that presentation that's on my website called Event 2021, I pointed out that many of the people that are responsible for funding CRISPR technology also help fund this gain-of-function viral viral bioweapon. Same people. Same motives. Um, And, you know, it is... uh, Genetic changes like this, we need to approach extremely carefully and, you know, recognize that once we do the damage, it's, it's undoable. Uh, now, that being said, I realize that a lot of people have been vaccinated and uh, we do have uh, on FlemingMethod.com some experiment, what I consider experimental protocols based upon uh, the research that we did for the infection, SARS-CoV-2, and the disease, COVID-19. So once the inflammation, blood clotting becomes severe enough, it becomes the disease, coronavirus disease, 19. Um, That research we presented recently at the American Society of Nuclear Cardiology in September of this year, which is, to the best of my knowledge, the first research that's been presented on treatments, uh, particularly of multiple drugs, and what I found, again, remembering that medicine took a couple years off from meetings because nobody could go meet in person, so we didn't get out there present any of our research. Um, I think to the credit of my, of my nuclear cardiology colleagues, they looked at the data that was presented and to a person said, wow, um, it looks like these drugs actually work. Um, we've taken that information uh, and formulated an approach for vaccinated individuals that we're looking at uh, what I call clinically, so we, we're not currently measuring it. We don't have uh, been, uh, this kind of been pushed on us, so a proposed approach for trying to get this genetic sequences cleaned up or at least minimized in individuals who've been vaccinated. Uh, we've been looking at this in Europe, and the Middle East, and some places in the U.S., and we're hearing very good results. But again, as a research scientist, I can only tell you it's just clinical impressions from people, not measured outcome data like somebody like me likes to have. Um, and I won't, and, you know, and, and again, I, as I told somebody the other day, I don't know whether it's our treatments or these people just would have gotten better anyway, right? Because if I can't measure it, I, you know, I won't give myself any, any more leeway than I'll give anybody else. If I can't measure and prove that it's the consequence of what we're proposing, then I can't tell you that it's what I'm proposing. You know, maybe they were going to heal on their own. Maybe those rashes were going to go away. Maybe that neurologic damage was going to go away on its own. I don't know. I can, you know, um, again, I won't give myself any more liberties than I'll give anybody else.
2: So would this be this be found on a, a website, your website?
1: Yeah, so it's on FlemingMethod.com uh, and you can you can go either to the first column or to the on the left or the or the farthest column on the right. If you go to the left and you just drop down, you'll see SARS-CoV-2. I think it's the fourth drop down. You click on that, and then you just scroll all the way down and you'll see vaccine and shedding uh, protocols. My brain works backwards. My job, as I, as I saw it for this protocol, was to force your DNA to open up to replicate the virus and to allow the repair mechanisms to come in and repair the DNA or repair enough of it so that the virus couldn't get replicated by human cells. Um, most everybody else works the other direction. Um, again, my brain just works backwards.
2: Right. Right. Well, we like the way that your brain works and we need, we need it on this planet for all of us. Um, a lot of people now coming to the place where they're saying, well, I took the shots. I'm not happy about it. I am feeling some repercussions in my body. Um, do you think every single person who's, who's coming to an awakening, uh, that they've made an error, um, should be taking something that might detox or, you know, undo whatever they can do?
1: So, you know, one of the rules in medicine and science is nothing is 100%, nothing is always and nothing is never. Um, so my perspective is one of the reasons why physicians go to medical college, right, is to learn when to do certain things, or at least that's the premise of it. I'm still going to live with that. Um I got trained at the University of Iowa, which was the only College of Medicine I later discovered in the United States that doesn't have private practice physicians. So we're all academics. Um, And then when I left there and saw how the real world was functioning, I wanted to really kind of want to go back there and hide. Um, But the perspective is your physician should, in conjunction with you, take a look at what's going on to see... What, what's happening to you, what problems you're having, and then this is informed consent, right? And then make a decision with you about whether you should try these these different treatments or not. And that's, you know, it's always the physician and, and the patient, which, by the way, isn't the, the physician, the government and the patient, right? Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a firm proponent that even on the treatments that I would tell you, I don't think work, or there isn't measured treatment that works. I'm still a firm uh, proponent of the approach that it's still between the patient and the physician, not the patient, the physician, and the government. Because the government doesn't show up when you have a bad consequence. I've I've noticed that they they don't tend to show up in hospitals, right? Interesting, isn't it? um, Right? So, and, and And I've taken the approach... Uh the same way that I do for just a lot of other medical problems that I treat. I'm, I'm very adamant, I think, on the way that I treat certain, let's take a rhythm of the heart, right? There's the second most common rhythm in the United States is called atrial fibrillation. And I've seen doctors use drugs to control that rhythm that just make me cringe. I, I consider them the wrong drugs. But the doctors can use them, and sometimes they work. And, and the patient, the doctor decide that's it. But just because I wouldn't use that drug doesn't mean the doctor and the patient don't have that right to make that decision to do that. Um, I have certain drugs that I use for certain reasons. And I've been trained by I've been blessed to be trained by some very best in, in the country, including the man who, who runs uh, the electrophysiology society. Uh, which would fall under, you know, atrial fibrillation. Gerald Naccarelli, Dr. Naccarelli is, you know, and he was one of the people that trained me as a cardiologist. So I have very defined um, treatments that I use for specific things, but it doesn't mean that everybody has to do it exactly like I would. I mean, your doctor, for a variety of reasons, may not feel comfortable using the drugs that I used. And I got that. But again, I only bring that up as an issue because these decisions, and I consider these the fallout decisions. See, these aren't the crimes. These are are just the consequences, which is another reason for people to take action with 10 letters that are, you don't like the consequences of this? You have to understand that the reason why these consequences occur is because crimes occurred. Biological viral weapons were developed. And all of this fallout, where the fallout may or may not be criminal action, and we can all argue one way or the other, they are the consequence of these criminal actions. And if you don't like this fallout, and you don't like the 1.1 million Americans that are dead, and 1.5 named Americans, if you don't like all that, you need to take action as an American citizen. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, yes, you and, have to, or it's going to continue.
2: Absolutely. Um, as uh, you know, I'd like to ask you one sort of final question, and that is that in all of your years, there a lot of experience in medicine and all of that. Uh, would you have been able to predict we would be at a day like this? Like, mm-hmm. did you see it coming that evil would persist to the point where we've created uh, harmful viruses, and then we've created mm-hmm harmful, supposed antidotes to it, which is all har- harming humanity. Did you see this coming to the degree that we're experiencing?
1: You know, I'd like to say no, but I'd be, I, I wouldn't be—I would be honest with you. <clears throat> I mean, the reality is, um, you know, again, this is uh, completing my 54th year of research, and I buried some of my original research because I could see what they would do with it. Um, I have been uh, practicing medicine since 1986, so 14, uh, 36 years. And, uh, you know, I remember HIV when it came out. I was a medical student. I have seen, you know, look, uh, my court case in 2009 was because Big Pharma uh, and uh, decided that you needed two injections of radioactive isotope instead of one. Um, and and the consequence of that is they miss critical heart disease. They over-radiate people. And they made $20 million in a couple of decades, which now seems like a drop in the bucket until you realize that we're talking about the 80s and, and the early 2000s, that they made that type of money in it. So. Yeah. Um, Based upon that experience, it's very clear to me they will do whatever, whenever, wherever they need to do it um, if it's financially profitable to them. Um, It's amazing. Every time I talk to somebody about, you know, Fleming Method, for example, because we were going to launch that in 2019 for heart disease and cancer. And then, you know, 2019 happened and we kind of took a different path to use it for this. I I would have to tell people it's faster. um, It's better. It's more accurate. It is accurate because it can measure. It saves time and lives. And it wasn't until I got to the point that I I said, and it saves money that people paid attention. Oh, it saves money. We could make more money. Don't worry about whether it's better for the patient, more accurate, You know helps the patients decide what what treatment they want or can get a less toxic treatment it's not until you get to it makes more money that people's eyes seem to light up which is a sad reflection of i think humanity in in general but to heck with the patients and whether they're doing better and, and, and better diagnosed and don't die it makes you more money that that when when you recognize that and wrap your brain around that can i see this scenario absolutely it made mm-hmm. money it it covered the 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 uh the mistakes of people uh absolutely and okay. it will continue to unless the american public stands up and does and, and 10letters.org is the only way that i've seen we put that together because either we're going to do this and and turn this or we're all going to go quietly into the good night Um, and it's a matter of whether you you want to go quietly into the good night or you want to let your children children be manipulated um, or you like living in this type of of world, uh, wow, if you do, you you probably should have switched off after the first minute of this this conversation.
2: Right. It's time for us to stand up and do something, and uh, you're making that possible, and you're giving us a way to do it, much like action, for Canada here in Canada. Um, This is very powerful and meaningful and I know that my US, I have many US watchers are going to absolutely love this and, and I encourage all of you to do something Um, we are in the fight of our lives. Dr. Fleming, thank you. You are always so fascinating. I could just uh, listen to you for hours and I wish that we had that. So uh, I just appreciate you. I know that you can talk nonstop. I remember being at a seminar with you, uh, down in the States and, uh, you know, we, we, um, met down there and, uh, you were just on stage and you, you just could, you know, just hit it out of the park and people regard you as one of the reasons that we're making any headway at all in revealing uh, the, the the evil that has happened to humanity. And so I continue to have such respect for you. Thank you very much for being with us today.
1: It's Very kind of you. Thank you for the invitation.
2: You're very welcome. Thank you. We'll, we'll talk to you again. I absolutely, uh, think that that is what we all have to do is do something and writing letters, uh, getting involved locally in your communities, uh, writing to, you know, our premiers and, uh, those that would dare to listen. I, I think in some ways, Canada's even more sold out than the United States. I do not know what to make of our premiers. I'm grateful that we are seeing some action going on in Alberta. That's very good. Let's continue to see that and hope that there's some real teeth behind all that's happening there. We'd like to see that. Um, Many of you know that uh, we talk about finances sometimes on here, and we've got a guy that we trust with gold and silver. Uh, He knows what's happening with crypto as well. Uh, He's always got sort of the beat on the financial... um, hmm, destruction of our world and so uh with that steve merrill we just want to welcome you to the show uh thanks for being here today and uh it's kind of gloomy out there you know we're not seeing uh, other than gas is a little bit cheaper but my cremo is still super expensive in the superstore (laughs) so i'm not very happy about that that's how i judge if things are okay or not is how expensive the cremo for my coffee is and uh it's, it's bad it's really bad right now steve So um, I appreciate you being here. Uh, You know, a lot about what's going on with gold and silver and all of that. And even, I don't know if you can weigh in on some of the crazy stuff that's happened. um, You know, if it's up your alley with, is it FTX, JT? That FTX, you know, like, oh my Mm. goodness. I mean, if we go in the wrong direction, we can, people have lost everything, you know, putting banking on something
3: yeah ftx was uh, another episode of a of a ponzi scheme for sure unregulated uh, based out of the bahamas sprang up into the crypto stratosphere quite quickly in 2020 no one had heard of it uh, previously Um, they started issuing their own tokens which represented sort of a stake in their company itself, and it was a token that was used to uh, bridge the gap between crypto posi- profits in one cryptocurrency, say like Bitcoin, and parking the the uh, the position in in the FTT token. It was called uh, this FTT token. It sounded like he or they, a couple of kids, really. Uh, managed to create from thin air and uh, swap them for other cryptocurrencies that were very liquid for cash. $9 million apartment, 10-bedroom apartment in Nassau, Bahamas. What's really startling is that this kid's not in handcuffs. Uh, this 28-year-old oh, kid. Oh, yeah, who they're some
2: celebrating him. He's getting interviews ties. all over yeah. the place. People feel sorry for him. He had a bad week, <laughs> you know, it's just uh, absolutely horrible.
3: Yeah. He's, he's incriminated himself on a couple of podcasts he's given uh, over the last few weeks. I don't right. know who his lawyer is. I have no idea who's handling this guy. Uh, maybe he's not even human. Maybe he's a a robot of some kind. <laughs> um, on the bright side, this implosion of this exchange has led more people to take uh, ownership, an ownership stake in their own assets. To give you an idea, those who really, you know, do play in this space use offline storage facilities like this one from a company called Ledger. So it's got some little keys on the top of this thing here. Click, click, click. I plug it into a USB like this and I can go on and off the blockchain and I control my assets, and I'm my own banker. In this case, kind of like I am in this case when I hold this in my hand, right? This big giant wow. kilo of silver with a big round. <laughs>
2: oh man! <laughs> wow. Yeah, you seen that one? Uh, yeah, no, I haven't that, seen that one. That that's big.
3: That's a kilo, a kilo of silver coin from okay. the Perth Mint. Yep. Anyways, this is the way to go. The the FTX collapse is allowed. I guess more people to to wake up to there is really no trustless, completely trustless form of financial form uh, outside of gold and silver, and to some degree Bitcoin in your own hands. Like this, everything else is suspect. Uh, every, everything else is counterparties, bureaucrats, bankers, brokers between you and your money, as a lot of people are. Finding out as they try to maybe make some moves in their RSP or or uh, get some cash out of the bank, which is not that easy. I've got a fella just recently. He's ordered thirty grand. He's been told ten days, come back in ten days for your thirty grand cash. So these aren't these aren't uh, you know real calming, satisfying uh, responses from bankers. Uh, to a lot of people who are suspect uh, of the system or who want to make some moves in their portfolios or even just get cash out of the bank. It's, it's becoming more and more obvious. I have to more heard more that. People. I've
2: I've had the same reports, uh, mm-hmm. people going even uh, smaller amounts. And it's like, uh, you know, no, we can't give that to you. And you're like, you know, this my one friend. Uh, she was pretty demanding. And she's like, that's my money. Like you're holding yeah. it. And I need to be able to get it anytime <laughs> I want. And, uh, it it wasn't as easy as all that. And it it really actually really jarred her and concerned her.
3: Yeah. It's a, it's a real wake up call for a lot of people. It's a real wake up call for a lot of people. They phone their broker and find out uh, this happened just recently with one of your referrals actually that came through the last show. You know, there's 180,000 trapped in a, in a investment fund that she has absolutely no control over. She can't make any moves within it. She can't she can't direct it in any way, shape or form. It's it's really managed by a very strict team uh, on behalf of the company she used to work for. And there's virtually no access to it until she turns a certain age, you know, and, and by then it could be gone. And she's worried, you know, she's in her early 50s. That certain age is still a decade away. I don't expect dollars to even be around in a decade. And I think, you know, these are very hard, uh hard issues conflicts for people to deal with today after trusting for so long right from birth for so many of us that, that the that the banks are sure you know acting in their best interest that they're
2: and they're we are a keep safe he- place for hearing about like a, a great reset or you know that we're printing money and it's going to collapse i mean um we don't I don't know what all that would look like. You would certainly understand this field much better than I I try to get a little bit of knowledge and, you know, for a large part, I just kind of go, well, I'd like to, to rely on experts to kind of help me with this. But, Mm. but if, if our money, if our banks are lacking in integrity to say the least, and if our government has not been honoring of our resources and our funds, then, um, then we do feel and I think more and more people are putting, you know, taking it into their own hands. And I remember last time you were saying that silver is kind of like at an all-time low and it's being kind of kept artificially down. Do you feel oh, that yeah. still? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, well, th- there's no question. I mean, silver was over $50 in 1980 when the average home price in BC was probably $25,000. The average home price is now 50 times higher than that. And silver is somehow half the price that it went to in 1980. There's no rhyme or reason to it. When you look at the market and you see and understand that above ground reserves of silver have never been lower. Mine supply is, is never been um, less and demand, especially with all the industrial applications in our world, everything electronic runs runs with real silver, not manufactured silver, is is exploding. The bankers know that, I've used this analogy a couple of times, that a lot of us are like, you know, Maple Leaf fans. We uh, get our jersey out for three days of the season when things get exciting, pull it on, and when the Leafs bow out of the playoffs after two games, then uh, we throw that jersey back in in the drawer you know if if silver and gold were to be exciting uh like a playoff run you know for a couple of months and and we had moves of 50 hundred dollar daily moves in gold or maybe a dollar two back to back to back days in silver that everyone would start paying attention and people start chattering and it might make the front page of the odd newspaper who knows and uh, there'd be lineups outside uh, the dealer's doors, like my own, and there's not still. Although business has been sixfold, sevenfold busier than last year, uh, it's still really only one in a hundred people that can spell silver. The bankers are deathly afraid of of ten in a hundred being able to spell silver and do something about it. It's not that easy to do something about it because most people's savings are trapped in in RSPs and, and TFSA's and and pension funds and and other places where it's not easy to liquidate and you've got layers of people in blue suits and white collars uh talking you out of it and and bringing in an army of people to show you charts and show you all the reasons that gold and silver are risky they don't pay dividends uh, they're barbarous relics they'll do everything in their power to talk little old ladies out of uh, liquidating their savings for this archaic, you know, barbarous relic of a of a of a metal that, you know, nobody seems to care about anymore. But nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, we we still, you know, gold still really underpins the monetary system today. Without artificially low gold, we wouldn't have artificially low interest rates and we wouldn't have crazy financial bubbles like we've been living with in the Western world, especially in real estate, over the last couple of decades. You know, where you are, where I am, you know, it's become unaffordable. I've got a client who was sitting here just three days ago on Thursday, he, he retired from a, a good job, a public job, uh, school system in the Cologne area here, um, a $329,000 mortgage uh, for the last few years at a five-year fixed term, 3.25, it's gone up to 5.15, you've heard stories like this, I'm sure. The difference between 3.25 and 5.15 on a $329,000 mortgage is $300 a week. So all of a sudden, the two of them who did leave their jobs to beat the jab, if you will, near the end of their careers with public service here in Kelowna, one was Interior Health, one was School District, are now back working part-time because of a less than 2%, almost a 2% move on what is a relatively small mortgage for this town, 329 dollars Um Artificial interest rates have have been enabled by artificially pricing gold and other commodities. And the artificial pricing of the gold market is actually public record. It's been going on in the States since 1933 when they actually passed a law to do just that, manipulate the gold price. Roughly about the same time that they tried to confiscate everyone's gold after the Great Depression and the collapse of the market back then. Black Monday or Black Friday or whatever it was called. So it's, it's, it's historically cheap. And fortunately, last time we spoke, it was even cheaper. And you'll be happy to know we've had 62 referrals from your listeners since the last time we spoke. I was going through them uh, 41 of them are women i don't know if that says more about mm. me or you
2: <laughs> how smart they are are <laughs> <says>. how smart
3: <laughs> women are and how how many how, how often it is it seems like the the woman in the household is actually making this more emotional decision not a scientific decision mm-hmm. It you know, on paper it doesn't really make sense but emotionally it's a heartfelt decision to take a position in real gold or real silver coins and hold it yourself. And it's kind of funny that it's two thirds women that have come through your it, it show. Is that's funny. for sure. I yeah. think
2: why, I mean, I, and it, it is interesting because I'll say to my husband, do you know, do you, you, know, what do you think? Uh, you know, is it time to get more silver, but is it, um, I, I think maybe it's because we have a sense that there could be a moment, like you said, it, it's already gone up a little bit, but it seems to me that, the day that something crashes somewhere might be the real flip for silver and gold perhaps. And having, I'm, and the way you do it, like you order it and you get it in your hands, right? You, you ship it. We facilitate
3: the orders and ship it to you so you can open a box Ah. and put it in your hands. Mm -hmm. Correct. Um,
2: In all kinds of different ways too. Like you could have those bigger things or you can have little, little coins
3: this is a big bad boy that came in the other day that's
2: oh, wow. that's 100
3: ounces of silver you guys oh, that's and big. Uh,
2: that's hard to carry in your and purse it makes you know, sound when you like go to that. the store but um, yeah. yeah what yeah what do you go do you go with a little knife and you know chip 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 <laughs> but you know some people have said to me that really feel that we're in dire straits they've said Look at what the Bible says about silver and gold, like that, that the, that bread could one day be like the price of gold. So imagine that if, if our, if our money has somehow failed, there could be a whole barter system that begins happening and you might need something that has value so that you can get your chicken or whatever. I mean, it just seems hideous, but we're, we're seeing what's happening. I went to get some, um, some cold 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 and cough medicine actually for a friend of mine Mm I they have none they don't have any in the stores like something's you know uh children's Tylenol children's uh pain reliever like our whole world has lost their way everything is very concerning at this time and so I think we have to prepare you know
3: well I do too and and just on that point I mean I might've mentioned this the last time we spoke, there's a terrific article on a website called the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives, and it's called Canada's Hidden Bank Bailout. And if you just Google this or put it into the search engine, I don't use Google, I try to use Brave when I can, because it pays me in crypto for my time, but that's another story. The Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives put together a paper a few years ago on the bailout of Canada's banking system back in 2010 and the study goes on, the first page is all you really need to read, that BMO, Scotia and CIBC at the time of the bailout, the bailout was about $220 that came in in part from the Bank of Canada which created the money from virtually nothing, the amount of the bailout, the amount of money or funds received by the three banks exceeded their market cap at the time in 2010. BMO got 34 billion. That was greater than the the size of the bank, the market cap of the bank. Most Canadians, not one in a thousand, believe that our banks even needed a bailout per capita the bailout was bigger than it was in the states it was 3500 for every man woman and child in canada 35 million of us we saved we you and i and others saved three of canada's big chartered banks a decade ago and had we not anybody with funds in any one of those three banks we all know people that bank at cibc scotia or bmo they would have been wiped out a decade ago they would have lost all their money so google this article canada's hidden bank bailout it's and it's just the first page is all anyone really needs to see the other one i continue to remind people is the 600 year silver bear market uh, we're not looking at a, at a three or four decade timeline here in terms of real purchasing power uh an ounce of silver today was a good really healthy weeks wages historically from most of the 14th century right up till the early uh, 1900s, an ounce of silver, like an old silver Morgan, was was a very healthy days, sometimes a week's wages. Today, that ounce of silver equivalent can be bought for 35 to 45 dollars Canadian. So something's really offside. Either all of human history had it wrong. And it's just in the last three decades that the bankers have gotten it so right, or maybe it's the opposite. History had it right, and we're living in this paradigm of wrong, of fraud, of, of continual lies and manipulation of, of financial markets and manipulation of media and everything else. We know what's going on today. It's it's That's all enabled, in fact, all the socialism, all the fake news, all of the welfare and warfare is all financed by debt-based money or paper money or what a lot of us call fiat or fiat money money that can be expanded elastic money that can be expanded and printed uh, really without any consequence except inflation which is the hidden tax we all know about but when we're when we were using silver and coins, and there's I've met some seniors who do remember the 50s and 60s and how stable they were, during a time when France and Belgium and England and Canada, the U.S. were using silver money. A single income could pay for a, a home and a car and a two week holiday, and mom stayed at home and so on. And a lot of seniors even today don't realize what enabled the stability or the the, the sense of of community that we a lot of them remember in the 50s and 60s. Well, it turned out after World War II, after the blowout, then all the Western nations got back onto a gold and silver standard. Gold under the case of the Bretton Woods Agreement, silver in the case of coinage, and it lasted right through till the late 60s. Virtually every Western nation, and things were relatively calm. Yeah, there was Korea, and yeah, there was Vietnam in the case of the states and some flare-ups here and there um then vietnam and and a lot of people believe that nixon eventually severed all ties to gold and the, and the u.s dollar because of vietnam because the gold was gone after printing so many dollars in the late 60s and uh here we are living at the end of what a lot of us in this space believe is 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 a the biggest financial bubble of all time and it's been enabled by uh, suppressing the gold price and pushing gold and silver as far away from the mainstream as possible and keeping it boring as much as possible Uh, there's a terrific article right now on um, on one of my favorite authors out of switzerland that the the website is called gold switzerland and if you click the button it says market insights on Egon's website, he's a fellow that everyone knows in our space, Egon von Garetz. In the end, the dollar goes to zero and the U.S. defaults is the headline. And in the article, the disastrous borrowed prosperity with zero ability to repay the surging debt will lead to one of three consequences below. One, the U.S. dollar goes to zero, two, a U.S. default, and three is both of the above. and that's where i believe we're headed how it happens is 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 uh, hard to pinpoint but what we do know is that just in our lifetime laura lynn you know our dollar or the u.s dollar has lost 97 percent between 95 and 90 percent of its purchasing power that cream you bought when you were a little girl, when you started drinking coffee when you were 12, was 20 cents and now it's $20. It's the same cream. Uh, We know that the end result of a fiat money system like we're living in now uh, is disastrous. It ends in chaos. We've lost 95 to 97% of our purchasing power now since his dollar was, say, anchored to gold in the case of the U.S. dollar. The last four, between 1% and 5% happens very quickly. And Egon, in, in the article at Gold Switzerland, talks about it a little bit. The blow-off phase, the final meltdown phase happens really quickly. What happens is you decide, for example, that, well, cream is going up 10% a month. I'm going to draw a thousand bucks out of the bank and buy all the cream I can today and freeze it because I don't want to pay 10% tomorrow or next month. And I can't live without cream. Right. Or it could be honey or it could be tires. Why not buy your tires now for next season? Because you know, they're going to be 40% more. When this mentality starts to really permeate and people start to, throw dollars at things they need prices rise even more quickly the price of real things rises exponentially fast and it be it creates a snowball effect that is unstoppable don't let any bureaucrat ever tell you that inflation is going to be reined in it's never happened uh, ever in human history have they been able to control inflation or bring it back to acceptable levels which we've been Led to believe all their life is two percent or three percent or something ridiculous. It's never happened that inflation after it gets out of control ever is reined in and brought back in control. It's uh, show me an example of that and I'll uh, I'll buy that Brooklyn Bridge you've got for sale. It it it's it's not ever been the case. So the end game is is horrible and Egon's right in the article and I've been. Having this very frank conversation with a lot of your listeners, uh, you're playing Russian roulette with everything in the system. Uh, your savings, your RSP, your GICs, your your bond accounts, your TFSA. Everything has counterparty risk, and and the banks, since they were bailed out a decade ago in Canada, have not paid any fines really, or or. Or gone to jail. None of these bankers have gone to jail. They were allowed to walk, just like our friend from FDX, and they're still walking, and they're still looking for victims, and they're still advertising on TV how great they are. And uh, the the fact of the matter is, since the the bailout of Canada's system, uh, the situation their their situation, even even despite hearing last week record profits at TD, three and a half billion or whatever they're they're a horrible mess. They by kicking the can have made it worse. So the 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 financial crisis of a decade ago which they managed to bail out is is not possible in this next go round and and the situation is 100 times worse because bad banks weren't allowed to fail, bad businesses weren't allowed to go bust. So we 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 gave them more rope. Uh, to hang themselves, and they're going to hang themselves even worse. And unfortunately, a lot of people who bank with them are going to be hanging with them. And it's it's a terrible thing that you know you should you should have to go down with a banker. But a lot of people are, and a lot of people have uh, just over the last decade in Venezuela, Argentina, Zimbabwe, uh, Cyprus. Previously, people have lost everything, and I want desperately to to help people get into physical metal as, as as best they can. There's a lot of talk about how do I move my RSP into physical metal? It is possible. I just wanted to bring it up quickly. There's trillions stuck in RSPs. It is possible to use RSP money. Uh, two things, you have to uh, assign a new broker or activate a new broker account and move some of your RSP money to a smaller firm out of the firm you're in and you don't actually hold the metal yourself, but, but it is in storage with your name on it. And if, if, if you're having a hard time bringing money out of your RSP or don't want to take a 10 or 20% tax hit, this is the big fear. And they use this with everybody. Oh, you don't want to pay the tax and withdraw early your RSP funds, and certainly not to go buy something as crazy as silver and gold. Well, You can use RSP money to take a position when I'm asked that question. I, I try to respond with, with a couple of things. First, the word register, which means to assign legal title, ask yourself who you've assigned your savings to in the case that you've registered your savings and in the financial fitness and the financial wherewithal and the history of this corporation, which is a basket case called Canada, which is trillions in debt itself. As we know, this is who you're registering your savings with. And the other thing I I, I've tried to help people with taking a 10 or 20% hit on a a withdrawal out of your RSP, say 50,000 to buy some physical silver and gold. Uh, You know, initially that's five or 10 grand, but I, I tried to remind people that that imagine there was a house on, on your block and it was listed uh, for some reason, say the homeowner was asleep for the last 50 years, it was listed today for half the price it was in 1980. So the average price in Vancouver, let's say it was 30, 35 grand in 1980. Someone throws it on the market for 17.5 down there in the, in the East End, the commercial drive area. Would you consider liquidating some of your RSP and taking a 5, 10, up to 20% hit on those on that withdrawal to buy that house today, which has been so horribly mispriced? Silver is that house today that is selling for half the price it did in 1980. Wow. It's $25 spot US today, it went over $50 in 1980 when houses were 35 grand. So not only are you protecting your wealth with something that's never failed to protect wealth throughout human history, the upside in silver could be as dramatic as the upside in that house that's been mispriced so badly that's listed on your block at half of 1980 prices. You know, you could flip that tomorrow for a million dollars. Well, seventeen five into a million is is a nice, healthy profit, and it cost you uh, uh, five or ten grand in, in an RSP withholding tax. Consider that. That's how offside is the price of silver today. Uh, right. Gold is offside too, but silver is even further uh and more dramatically cheap relative to what we know throughout human history and relative to supply demand fundamentals and so on i personally believe in a fair market we'd have a three to one silver to gold ratio today which would put silver about 800 dollars. and i believe that the gold price is at least 100 times uh from where it should be and that they've created that much paper in the london market 100 times more paper contracts than actual physical gold we know this they don't hide this so if we had a $240,000 gold price, divide that number by three, that's a fair price for silver. And that's that sounds a bit crazy at first, uh, but that's uh, what a lot of experts uh, have written about over the years, including Eric Sprott, uh, people like David Morgan, many others. It's that crazy. It's that big an opportunity. Buy as much silver as you can carry today Take possession of it and know that you're sitting on a on a, on a, a treasure chest, on an explosive uh, opportunity when this Ponzi scheme, Ponzi schemes in the case of the London gold market and the silver market, the COMEX market in New York, eventually unwind like all Ponzi schemes do. Just like FTX. You think a $35 billion unwinding of a Ponzi scheme in the Bahamas was something, you ain't seen nothing. The, the, the London gold market is a $3 trillion Ponzi and and it's gonna be historic. And silver will, will, we believe, exponentially shoot up along with the gold price and correct to where it's historically been throughout the ages. Uh, I'm talking about the ratio of silver to gold, which is never in human history until our lifetime exceeded 15. 15 ounces of silver is the most it's ever cost you for an ounce of gold. Well, today it's 70, it's between 70 and 72 ounces of silver to an ounce of gold, despite the ratio on the ground in Mexico being seven. That's how crazy offside is the
0: silver price.
2: Wow. Oh. And, and like you say, they're manufacturing that. So um, very interesting, very interesting. Oh, yeah. Steve, I, I just, uh, you know, I appreciate your knowledge on this. You were going to say.
3: Well uh it's a great time to buy silver it's it's never been it's never been better the 600 year silver bear market chart inside that article on seeking alpha is, is extraordinary and it gives you a historical look at, at where we are how cheap it is we've had some people i think um at a fellow recently he wanted to liquidate two million out of his brokerage account he's done well very well over the years it took him three weeks to eventually talk his broker into selling these stocks and equities and bonds to free up this cash. His broker threw back at him at one point and he shared it with me, an article that Warren Buffett allegedly wrote uh, here recently. There was no date on the article. There was no author. There was a Getty image credit to the picture of Warren Buffett. And the headline says, Warren Buffett uh, decrees that gold and, and crypto or Bitcoin, I think it said, are are terrible investments um, at this time or something. The headline was incredibly negative. I went looking for this article. There was no article, there was no Financial Times, there was no Business Insider, couldn't find it anywhere. I distinctly got the impression that the broker or brokerage made it up through Warren Buffett's print, a, a picture in this article and is sharing it with old timers who want to make this move. As a means to talk him out of it. Fortunately, I know a little bit about Warren Buffett. I bounced him back an article from 1998 when Warren Buffett himself took a big position in physical silver, 130 million ounces. At the time, 2% of Berkshire Hathaway. And I also bounced him back an article that Howard Buffett wrote. Warren Buffett's father, who is a congressman in Nebraska, back in the 40s and in the early 50s he wrote an article called human freedom rests upon gold redeemable money so the old timer bounced this these two articles back to his broker who didn't want to liquidate and take direction from the so-called owner of this investment portfolio <laughs> and and fortunately had an impact uh on his decision to eventually, you know, release these funds, but, uh, you know, these brokers are using really, uh, deceptive tactics in some cases to talk you out of buying these barbarous relics that have only been money for 12,000 years and to keep you in their system, their debt-based system, where they've had reasonably good success over the last three or four decades. And uh, Warren Buffett, it turns out, was a huge gold bug, kind of like Warren or uh, Alan Greenspan was. When Alan Greenspan took the oath as a Fed chairman in 1987, Ann Rand, the girl who wrote Atlas Shrugged, was in the picture beside him with Ronald Reagan. He was a gold bug right up till he wasn't. So he runs the Fed for 17 years or whatever it was from 87 to 2006. He talks about fiat money for 17 years and bubbles in inflation. and inflation. Then when he leaves the Fed, he starts talking about gold again and how how gold is still an asset and a, and a very valuable one. And if it weren't, central banks wouldn't be holding it. So it's, it's kind of funny how uh, Warren Buffett, again, who I believe is one of the world's biggest crony capitalists, um, mm. back three decades ago, was pretty bullish on silver, took a giant position in silver. And his dad comes from a very stable place. I mean, just the headline of that Essay he wrote: Human freedom relies or rests upon gold redeemable money. Howard Buffett, UN, U.S. Congressman, I think it was dated 1952 or something, 53. Anyways, it, it had an impact on 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 uh, this fellow having an argument, a capable one, a good one, with his broker, who uh, didn't want to go there, and right. it's it's unfortunate. And and
2: and it looks like for they, every they one produce... person that fake news
3: they've produced some yeah i i, I don't I mean, know who his like broker it, right? was right but he sent me the article that his broker sent him and i just went you got to be kidding me it was on source. there yeah. was no it's was very to hard
2: it. to know who to trust steve and i think mm. that's uh i do have people that write me and say like who do you trust and uh mm-hmm. we just we trust you we've met you uh we we know that you've been in the business a long time and you give us the straight goods and you've got the facts, and so that that makes it very well, important. Some of them. Yeah, and you know we we just do our best uh, with the rest and try to figure it all out. I appreciate you, Steve. So let's do this again. Um, yeah. And uh, keep keep helping us, and thank you very much for your really really good advice. And uh, hey, we weren't Here's done. Some of the items oh, for okay. Christmas. <laughs> oh, I like it. Oh wow.
3: That's the mouse. Yeah. That's a little koala
2: okay see a koala cute. bear yeah cute
3: purse mint people like oxes
2: you could buy it for the grandkids and it you know by the time <laughs> they grow up they tuck it away right who knows what they'll have what treasure
3: yeah oh yeah there's a little that's a five ounce turtle nice there's a 10 ounce round from the canadian mint called magnificent leafs yeah nice christmas gift for canada for canadian and then Here's something for that's a ten ounce bar.
2: <laughs> for that young boy in your life. Yeah.
3: Yeah. There's the bunker I call them banker buster bullets that we're sending <laughs> out to some of your friends. <laughs> oh, and
4: that then, was you a know, a little
3: deal. even a little quarter ounce piece of gold if somebody's right. looking for something different that's at Christmas. Beautiful. So there's Are you still a, doing
2: it, the bullets or or have you have you oh, worn, yeah. worn out? Yeah. Okay. So No, we the,
3: probably sent out 40 bullets
2: yeah good banker okay. busters right and you have to order a, over a certain amount to get that banker buster right
3: well we have five grand uh pretty much uh the'll get the you a bullet minimum order and it kills five it kills
2: or... uh vampires so we need that <laughs> okay Steve thank you I appreciate it all right you so much. you're welcome yeah stay strong love you too have a great Christmas all right see you soon you bye too. Bye. bye-bye Very nice. Very nice. I like Steve. I can always get a hold of him and uh, he will write you back right away. Um, Not too happy about what's going on with Dying with Dignity recommends the age limit to 12 years of age. DWDC acknowledges that Canadian society will lightly likely expect a minimum age for mature minors in the legislation, even though the emphasis at common law is on capacity and maturity and not chronological age. For this reason, DWDC asked the parliament amend the existing age requirement of 18 years of age to extend it to persons at least 12 years in age and capable of making decisions with respect to their health. As with adults, there should be a presumption of capacity for these minors. So if you're a minor with capacity and you'd like to kill yourself, we just want to make that easier. Very nice. Okay, well, we have a video here. Uh, Global News, um, a, a Paralympian uh, is offered assisted suicide instead of a stair lift. How thoughtful.
4: For Christine Gauthier, the fight to get a wheelchair lift in her home has been an uphill battle.
2: I have to crawl down the stairs
4: on my, on my butt with the wheelchair in front of me to be able to access my my house. While pleading her case to a Veterans Affairs case manager over the phone in 2019, she was told something that would leave her feeling shocked.
2: If things are so hard at this point, and uh, you, you just can't keep going on, and you, you know we can assist you with uh, aid to die.
4: And she's not the only one.
2: <laughs> OK. So this is becoming more and more. Our world is a depopulation uh, agenda world, and we have to fight that for all we're worth. We do not want people taking their lives, not ever. Um, you know, when my my father was passing away, uh, my brother and I got to be there right t- till the last few minutes, and they give you a whole cocktail of things to be given them, and they kind of... I mean, I don't know if if it was a long weekend or what, but we were given all these drugs and, you know, we were able to shoot it into the little needles that were in his arm if we wanted to give him more help. And then they had ordered a severe cocktail, which, you know, their doctor actually said uh, she wasn't even going to fill that prescription. She says he'll be dead, like literally in two minutes with this, what they've ordered and she wouldn't do it. And... Why are, you know, why would they order this? In any case, um, you know, we only gave my dad one little, uh, painkiller when he looked like he was in some discomfort, like three days early. And then we were just with him and we stayed and stayed and stayed with him until the very end. And I don't think we gave him any more because he was, he wasn't in pain, um, And if he had been, I think we maybe would have given, you know, one of the milder ones because they kind of, they increase it. But at no time would we want to just, oh, like, you know, just like off him now, you know, um, very, these are difficult things. I understand that. But when we have a culture of death, it is our job to fight it. Life is what's important. When people are suicidal. When they feel depressed, when a te- teenager is down, you don't offer them real easy access to take their life. You just don't do it because it is immoral and that child, that person in a depression could make a decision that could cost their lives when in, in a year, in two years, in five years, they'll, they'll be deliriously happy and not remember why they were so depressed to begin with. That's a fact. Most people who are very, very upset, you might be feeling really down. Guess what? In five years, you won't even remember why you were so down. You just need to get through it. And the love and the power of God will help you to do that. Not drugs and not this culture of death. Um, Dr. Byram Bridal, he says basically our food species is being loaded up with the mRNA vaccine. And this is alarming.
1: People have to realize these technologies are not only being pushed hard now uh, in people, but they are being fast-tracked. Many of them are being fast-tracked. And we're going to have our food species loaded up with these messenger RNA vaccines.
2: So they want to get you every which way. I mean, if they can't get you to take the vaccine, they're looking for ways to get it into us. So we have a problem. Um, Pray for God's protection over your body. And I would say be careful where you get your food sources and, if at all possible, uh, get things that have not been tampered with. Uh, a Japanese professor um, says the vaccine is a disaster and that the government is ignoring the science. Oh, i have to read it. Nearly 2,000 people died, but I think, oh, don't overlook written report. If anything is found in an autopsy, what what are you doing? You can't help but want to hide it. This is a case of drug harm. Mr. Kawada suffered greatly. Therefore, we will eradicate drug harm risks at all costs. This country has learned its lesson about drug harm and has become a country that will never suffer drug harm again but for you forcefully ignoring it. And you spend trillions of yen importing vaccines, so it's not good at all. Last year, I thought it would be a problem if this vaccine spread, and I decided it was delusional to think a vaccine would fix the pandemic. In professional magazines, the misunderstanding has finally come to light, and now it is understood that basically you, I believe, are causing harm, wrap the mRNA into nanoparticles. Every cell engulfs in it and the cells transform. This is what I now know. The mechanism is clear immediately. Dissolve the evaluation committee and investigate all cases. This is the conclusion. Wow. And all those who have fallen ill after being vaccinated should not delay informing their medical institution. Don't be slow. Not sure what will happen. Cardiovascular disease, autoimmune disease, susceptibility to infection and oncoming To the brain, the nanoparticles are absorbed by the brain. A stupid scientist would say um, they can't spread it, so it's okay. I mean, I'm not a fool. It can suppress natural immunity. That's why it didn't spread in Japanese places, because they have something salivary immunoglobin in their saliva. Uh, Due to the vaccination, natural immunity has been suppressed. This is what happened. I don't think it will subside at all. Visually, um, let me say It will spread more and more. Most people already have post-vaccination infections. The people who have the disease right now are not the ones who haven't been vaccinated, but the ones who have been. The data presented by the Ministry of Health, Labor, and Welfare speak for themselves. I delivered them all. So, so, uh, for those of you who, uh, the reason I'm reading it is because, uh, so that it goes out onto our podcast and they can't see. So this is a very irate Japanese, uh, doctor, I guess, basically saying he's a professor, basically calling and crying foul on everything that has been going on with the vaccines. All right. As we come to a close soon, um, Dr. Scott, um, Youngblood defends the science against the vaccine. Take a look.
4: My name is Scott Youngblood, I'm a physician and I'm here to defend science and patient autonomy. Next slide. The best way to look at any medical issue is with a randomized controlled trial. A well performed RCT is more powerful than dozens of observational studies because it has a control group. That's what Pfizer did to evaluate its vaccine uh, in, to get an EUA. It had 44,000 patients, two large groups, essentially equal in all respects, except one group gets the vaccine and the other group gets the placebo. Next slide. Everyone has heard that the study showed excellent vaccine efficacy with a lower rate of symptomatic infections over six months. Next slide. It was also great in preventing severe COVID cases. These patients are really sick. You have a high heart rate, respiratory failure, renal, hepatic, neurologic dysfunction, ICU admission and death. There was only one case of this in the vaccine group and 30 cases in the placebo group. Next slide. But what hasn't been talked about is the increased adverse events for the vaccine. Total adverse events twice as high, related adverse events four times as high, severe adverse events twice as high. Essentially, those are hospitalizations, heart attacks, strokes, myo, pericarditis, Guillaume Beret, et cetera. All of these differences were highly statistically significant. Next slide. And the endpoint that we should all care about the most, which is all cause mortality, this is the, the great endpoint because it ends all of the silly arguments about what caused the death. Was it the vaccine, the virus, or something else? You just total up the deaths, and at the end of six months, you look at them. And in this study, 15 patients died in the vaccine group versus 14 in the placebo group. And then the patients were unblinded and allowed to cross over if they had gotten placebo and wanted the vaccine. Five additional patients who got the vaccine died, but none who remained in the placebo group died. This mortality difference is not statistically significant. It doesn't prove anything other than scientifically one cannot say that this vaccine saves lives. Next slide. And this raises the big question, if the vaccine is so effective against the virus, preventing infections and severe COVID, then why didn't it it save lives at the height of the pandemic against the Alpha variant? The most likely answer is that the risks of this vaccine essentially cancelled out any COVID benefit from the vaccine. Regardless, there was no death benefit.
2: Okay, well, I just appreciate all the doctors telling the truth. I just appreciate everyone who's speaking with courage. We thank Dr. Fleming for being with us today. Uh, we appreciate all of the doctors that we have had on that will not stop yelling from the rooftops. When people say, well, there's so many opinions, who are you going to believe? I choose to believe the doctor who is paying with their reputation, is paying, you know, with... with. Um, having to deal with lawsuits and assaults from the College of Physicians and Surgeons because they're so aware they have to speak the truth. They're putting everything on the line. I like those guys. Dr. Paul Alexander, another hero. Dr. Mackus, Dr. William Mackus. He is going to be in Vancouver this Wednesday evening, 7 p.m. at the Cultural Croatian Cultural Center, December 7th. At 7 p.m., Dr. uh, he's not a doctor, uh, uh-huh. Archer Polowski. He's he's a doctor for Jesus, but uh, Archer Polowski, true hero. They are live and in person, everyone, live and in person. And we're going to be at the Croatian Cultural Center. Save the date, be there. Alicio Ibera is going to bring the presence of God with an amazing band. So, um, see you there I want to uh, also let you know that our website is lauralyn.tv if you would like to support the work we do here nobody else does certainly not the government Um, we check in with the government here and there and see if uh, we qualify for anything and we don't because we speak the truth and that is not acceptable in our country (laughs) so we're alone (laughs) and so we rely on your donations and it means a lot to us more than you could ever know. Thank you very much to some of you who have been so kind. We appreciate you. God bless you. Thanks to my good friend, uh, Eli and Marty. They are particularly wonderful to me on this day. Um, I want to leave you with some final instructions. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12, it says this. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, care for you in the Lord and who admonish you hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work live in peace with each other and we urge you brothers and sisters warn those who are idle and disruptive encourage the disheartened help the weak the patient be patient with everyone Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. If we all lived by this, wouldn't it be nice? I hope that you'll take a moment to encourage your pastor this week. You know that pastor that stood when all the others have failed us? Take a moment to write a note, a nice email. Pay your tithe, everyone. God blesses a cheerful giver. Be kind to them. Love them. Rejoice always, it says. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Are you happy? Are you rejoicing? You should be, as God is with us. doesn't matter about the storm. God's right here, right where we are. I've loved being here with you. Thank you for being here with me. God bless you know it's not easy to deliver the truth of what our sick world is doing but for some of us we feel that we have no choice because if we are silent about these abominable things then we are letting evil go unchecked and we cannot do that for those of you wonderful people who are writing me and are sharing your encouragement I am deeply grateful thank you for all the letters that you've been sending thank you for the donations and the support